Right. Hello, everybody. I'm very pleased to be here today with Adam Rowland. How are you doing, Adam? I'm very good, thank you. Or as good as can be expected, with all things being considered. Yeah, it, it, when I last spoke to John, he did kind of bitch slap me for saying it's not exactly the question you should be asking <laughs> in these interviews. So maybe I need to think of another one. Um, but we're, I mean, we're in the break between the COVID vaccine victim awareness months. Um, but I didn't really see any point in hanging hanging around um, with talking to you because I've I know about your story because I. I've posted a lot of stuff that you've um, put out since you started telling your story. And I just wanted to get you on to um, to explain it in full. So do you want to take it away? Yeah, obviously, just just interrupt me, Nick, at any stage, because, you know, you might want to find some bits more interesting than others. And uh, I'll be honest, Nick, I've told it a few times now. So, you know, I tend to because I've told it so many times, I tend to zoom over it. Um, so, yeah, I was very lucky. Um, I had my dream job. Um, as you know, I worked in professional sport and my dream career for the last 20 years was 17 years, which took me all over the world. I was very fortunate. Um, I worked in professional rugby league. I worked with England. Um, I worked in professional ballet for a bit. I worked in the military on an overseas base, an operational uh, base overseas in the Middle East. I... Um, and latterly, I was working with professional golfers on the PGA Golf Tour in the USA as a consultant. Um, yeah, and then I, I came back. I was actually in America when the lockdown, uh, first lockdown was announced in March 2020. And I was in um, Jacksonville in Florida at a tournament, the Players Tournament. It got shut down after the first day's play. Um, they suspended it and were shutting the borders of the USA. So... I flew back to the UK and then um, didn't really know, you know, much of what this coronavirus thing was about. Um, never watched TV, so I wasn't one for watching TV anyway. Um, but then, you know, the TV was on in the background. You know, my wife had it on at the time and she was listening to BBC and then, it, you know, it must have gotten drip fed into my subconscious. And then I got special dispensation to go back to the USA in May 2020 um, by Homeland Security because I was deemed very important to, you know, the PGA Tours a massive money-making thing. You know, the, the, the players that, you know, I was working with are worth, you know, they're multi-millionaires. They're playing for sometimes $8 million a week. So that's the kind of money that's involved. So I was deemed important. So I could get back in two from the USA without having to be vaccinated. But then... They, they changed their tune once the vaccines came out in uh, the end of 2020 and said that anybody who's not US national needs to be vaccinated to get back into the country. Um, but by that point, I'd also um, got a job back in rugby league locally with Warrington Wolves. And I, uh, I just took the vaccine because... Um, I thought it was the right thing to do. I was listening, you know, not I wasn't watching the TV. So I think that was my fatal mistake. I'd like to think I'm not that dumb where if I'd actually watched it and realised it wasn't all adding up, then I would have sort of thought, hang on, something's not right. But I was just sort of walking in and out of the room and my wife would have the, you know, the bulletins on every day, Boris's bulletins and all that rubbish. And I just heard about this deadly thing and, you know, protect your grandma and protect everybody else from this deadly disease. And then that was me. I'm a, I'm a decent bloke and a decent human being. And from that, I went and got vaccinated because I didn't want to pass this deadly virus on to other people. And then 
yeah, my life just uh, started to fall apart pretty quickly from the first vaccination, really. Um, so I had the first vaccination in January, 20, uh, sorry, February 21. Uh, I got this fever. I was in bed for a few days, which, you know, I just thought, you know, it's like a flu or something. But I started to develop fits, uh, fits in bed, uh, severe insomnia, these neurological problems down my arm and my leg, um, and this like extreme vertigo um, and all these sort of bizarre symptoms. I didn't know what they were. So I phoned my GP up and said to my GP, you know, I said, I've got some bizarre stuff going on. I don't know what's going on. I'm basically having these fits in bed and, you know, I can't sleep. Um, you know, my heart's going crazy. So I couldn't get a face-to-face -face appointment so they were still weren't seeing anyone face to face. So the GP just said to me on the phone, sounds like panic attacks. You're having nocturnal panic attacks. So I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, never had anything like it in my life. And I just didn't associate it because, you know, I didn't think it was the vaccine because I've had like childhood vaccines and never had any trouble before. Um. So it got that bad by March time, like a month after. I, I had to say that I couldn't go into work. You know, I, was, I wasn't myself in work and I was battling just to go in work because I wasn't sleeping. It was like three, four nights with no sleep. Having these fits were happening 15 times a night once at the worst. Um, so the GP said, oh, it sounds like panic attacks and it's your mental health. We need to get you on some like, uh, you know, mental health medications, antidepressants. So literally, you know, I was just so desperate. I was like, right, okay, yeah, you know, I trust my doctor. And I went on these medications and, uh, you know, it made me even worse. Um, and I just said to him straight away, I said, whatever it is in these medications, I said, it's not helping. I said, I'm getting worse. So they just kept telling me, oh, it's mental health. Uh, it's mental health. We suggest, you know, we don't know what else to do. Like, you know, there's nothing else. So I made a fatal mistake, Nick, and, you know, I was battling on with my health. And then I got the second vaccination in, in May 21. And then, holy, holy crap, that's when my world just completely fell apart. Um, I was very soon um, collapsing with my heart and ended up in ACU, which is like um, ICU for your heart. I developed uh, something called ventricular tachycardia in my heart, which causes sudden death. So they took it quite seriously. Um, so, yeah, I collapsed a couple of times, uh, like passed out and never, you know, passed out in my life. I was getting all these weird stuff, palpitations and things, chest pains. Um, again, phoned up the GP and he was like, oh, you know, it's probably just this panic. So I took matters into my own hands this time. I phoned a cardiologist, so my old job as a, a physiotherapist and strength and conditioning, I, I used to be head of medical at one stage in professional sport. So I managed, um, if you like, managed doctors and cardiologists, etc. So I phoned up an old cardiologist that we used to use, and I, I said to him, I said, Rich, I said, can you do me a favour? I said, I'm having all these problems with my chest and my heart, and my GP's telling me it's like panic. I said, it's been going on quite a while. I said, I've just not told anybody. So he said, yeah, he said, sure, drive up to the hospital and I'll stick you an ECG on. And that's when he found the VT in my heart. And he said to me, look, you know, you need, this is pretty, could be pretty serious, this. 
Um, he said, if it happens again, you need to go straight to hospital. And then it did. And then I went to hospital and then I showed them the ECG and they were like, shit. And they won't let me get out of bed for a week. Um, and then basically this was my local hospital, Nick. So they weren't specialists in hearts. So they, they were bamboozled with what was going on. They could just see it was dangerous. And they sent my ECG, so my trace, my heart trace, they sent that to a specialist heart and uh, lung hospital and asked the specialist doctors there to look at it because they're just like, we don't know what's causing this kind of thing. So they kept me on ACU, wouldn't let me get out of bed. And then they did like scans of my lungs because apparently I didn't know it because they don't tell you your results of your blood test. But my D-diamond was elevated, which is elevated in blood clots. So they were searching for blood clots. I've since found out, but they didn't tell me that. Um, and then a long story short, they discharged me and said, we think you're relatively safe. You're going to be seen urgently now on the, in the, on the next few weeks and you're going to have a cardiac scan of your heart and, you know, we'll get to the bottom of this. And I was still just in complete, you know, I didn't still, I, I asked them whether it could be the vaccine, but they said no. Um, so I took their word for it because I was just still oblivious to everything that was going on, I'll admit it. Um, so I ended up paying privately because I just wanted to get back to work, get on with my life. Apologies. I just wanted to get back to work and get on with my life. So, um, you know, I didn't think that I was going to end up like I am now. Um, so I decided to pay private to see a private cardiologist and get a private MRI to speed it up because I was incredibly fit, Nick, where I was training six, seven days a week since I've been like an 18-year-old kid. And, you know, I was part of my job that I prided myself on being in, you know, fairly decent shape. So I wanted to get back to, to training and make sure it was safe. So I wanted to go in, you know, go on the road, go for a run, ride my bike kind of thing. So I paid privately and uh, they scammed me and they just said, we don't know what's going on. They just said, it must be something else in your body that's causing it. Um, they said, normally with the heart pattern that you've got, it develops in childhood. We see it from childhood and it's like congenital because um, they, they, they found out what it was a rare kind of heart arrhythmia that I had. And they said that it's normally like a genetic or congenital thing. And they scanned my heart and they couldn't find a defect in my heart at this stage. Um, so they were like, it must be somewhere else in your body that's making the electrics of your heart go off. So I went for quite a few months after, when I came out of hospital in June 21, um, I got sent around the houses. I got sent to an endocrinologist on the NHS who basically was like not interested, you know, just said, you've not got diabetes, not really sure what's going on. So I was in and out of hospital in the November 21. I got sent to a neurologist because I've got all kinds of problems uh, with nerves in my body now. I got sent there in January 22. And by this time, I was so ill, Nick. I had um, a whole load of other symptoms I'd developed after coming out of hospital. I had blurred vision, tinnitus, face rashes, um, Basically, my muscles are wasting away, which they've subs subsequently found is a type of myopathy because they don't get enough oxygen. Um, my nerves aren't getting enough oxygen. And there's various, I don't want to, we can talk about it in more detail, but um, yeah, so things like my hands, I can't straighten my fingers properly now. So my fingers are starting to claw, so it's painful for me to type. Um, 
yeah so this went on and on and i got sent to this neurologist in january january 22 um and i said to him do you think this is the vaccine i said because i was so fit and i said you know i've got so many things wrong with me now i said it's just bizarre he turned around to me and went yeah he said it, it could be he said but the problem is he said we still don't know what caused gulf war syndrome and how to cure that um so he basically sort of said you know there's nothing i can do for you you know here's some tablets um and that, that that was it and then i got iller and iller nick in january from january 22 i must have been going to a and e um now the a and e i was going to doctors who knew me from professional sport were seeing me and they were like jesus adam what's happened to you and i've lost like two and a half stone by this point struggling to walk and they're like, what's going on with you? And I'm telling them, I said, I don't know what's going on. I, you know, I've had the vaccine and I'm like this. Um, I got to the point where I couldn't drive anymore. It was completely dangerous to drive. So I had to stop myself driving. I remember got to March 22, getting a taxi to my GP, just basically collapsing in his surgery. He's looking at me in the eyes. My eyeballs were bright yellow. He's going, Jesus, you know, I can see you're really unwell go to A&E. I ended up going back and two from A&E. They just kept doing the usual tests and just saying, you know, we're not sure what's going on. Go back to your doctor. And it accumulated with me collapsing in May 22 um, with perimyocarditis, inflammation of my heart. Um, so I don't remember two days from the back end of May 22. I vaguely remember being in and out of consciousness on a hospital corridor um i think after two or three days they found me a place on the cardiac ward and because of my old cardiac history they assumed it was my heart um they found this pericarditis in my heart so it was my heart but they were going to discharge me and say well it's just pericarditis and i was like look i said i know my own body i said i feel like i'm dying i said i don't think i've got long i said you've got to help me i was begging them by this point nick i just like i said you've got to help me i said you know i said i'm gonna die here i said i know my body and they said, well, we think it's anxiety. Again, they started to say, we think it's anxiety. And I, I, I was swearing by this point, Nick. I went, I said, look, I said, I'm medically trained uh, to a degree. I've got a good working knowledge. I said, this is complete bullshit. I said, there is something seriously going on in my body. I said, I want you to scan my chest. If you're saying, you know, I said, I want another scan. So the consultant said to me, um, so this was where the Queen's Jubilee was on, because I remember it, because I was in hospital quite a while. I was in hospital for over a month. Um, so he said to me, I'll scan your chest to put your mind at rest, but we're not going to find anything. So I said, okay. So anyway, they scanned my chest and found three pulmonary embolisms in my lungs and hundreds of tiny blood clots in my lungs. Now, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a specialist in that area, but if you go on Google, basically, I probably had about a 4% chance of survival at that stage. Um, obviously, I don't know whether it's as dramatic as Google says, but that's, that's you know. So I never saw that doctor again, whether it was because of the Queen's Jubilee, but um, he sent his junior doctor to say, we're really sorry you were right, and it was lucky that you asked for a scan. They were apologetic and said, we can't always get things right, and doctors make mistakes. Um, and from that time, Nick, um, my life just completely fell apart. I, you know, I'm pretty disabled. And um, 
I've got a number of chronic health conditions and my health has just generally continued to get worse. Um, so from that time, um, they discharged me out of hospital because my pericarditis wasn't getting any better. So that was, they discharged me in July 22. By August um, 22, I was taking second opinions. I took second opinions in London at the best heart and lung hospital in the country. Um, they got all my records from a local hospital and they were worried for my life. So they took me in as an emergency admission in London and kept me in London in London in hospital for another month. Uh, did a lot more extensive testing to make sure that I wasn't going to, you know, die imminently, um, which gave me a lot of reassurance. And um, they diagnosed me with um, myopathy of my muscles, which, um, you know, they sat me down to tell me that. Um, because it's it's not a pleasant um, thing to have. There isn't really any treatment for it. Um, and basically what happens is, you know, your, your muscles in your body start to shut down. Um, some people very quickly, some people very long, some people it can go into remission because um, there's hundreds of different types of myopathy and muscle diseases. But basically, you know, your heart's a muscle you know, the, the, the muscles that make your lungs function and breathe are muscles, you know, your bowels and guts are muscles, smooth muscle. So it affects all these things. Um, so people with it who, um, you know, who are severely affected, you know, it's it's not a nice, nice way to, to, to go, basically. You know, your, your organs and your muscles start to fail you. Um, so um, they discharged me with that in September 22. And, um, you know, that was when I decided to speak out. I was just like, you know, I wouldn't want this to happen to anyone. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to die from this, then, you know, the world needs to know about it. Um, so that was, it was only through the courage of meeting Alex Mitchell, and who basically saved my life the previous year, because I'm in hospital, he called me, because um, I was pretty suicidal by this point, Nick. Because um, you know they were telling me for months that there was nothing wrong with me, and I, you know I've lost my job, my house, you know relationships with my family. Um, you know because everyone, you know, my family's all going. Well, the doctors can't find anything wrong with you. You know. Yeah. Um, if, if I can just cut in, I think Alex, um, apart from the women who are widowed, I think Alex is probably the only person I've spoken to um, who's been injured by this thing where they didn't tell him it was all in his head, because obviously in his case, they can't. Everyone else has had exactly the same experience of being gaslit and told that it's a mental health problem that they're going through. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously now, Nick, just for the record, for the, you know, for the viewers or the listeners, I, you know, it is all documented now. It's my evidence is irrefutable. You know, I've had it off numerous consultants. It's in my NHS records, you know, so, you know, legally I am vaccine injured. I'm not, you know, and I've got these ongoing diagnoses. Is So I came out of hospital in London uh, with this. It was all, you know, you're vaccine injured. They even said to me, you know, you're the 239th person at this very hospital alone, which is quite staggering that they were seeing. Um, so they admitted all that to me and said to me, you know, we really feel sorry for you. It's not in your head. You know, they knew what people like me were going through. So they, from that perspective, my mental health has been so much better now because, you know, it's recognised and I'm, I know I'm not crazy. Um, mm. You know, I know I'm not crazy anyway, right? But to have it actually, 
you know, putting your notes and people say, you know, we're sorry. Um, yeah, that sort of helps you get a bit of closure on the matter. Well, not closure, but helps you come to terms with it. Well, what I find quite interesting in your case is that you you do know a fair bit about medicine and the body, but I assume that you know what you're an expert in and what you're not an expert in, and therefore where you should outsource that expertise. Um, and like I've said, everybody has had the same story of um, of gaslighting. It's just psychosomatic. It's in your head. But I think in your case, the negligence is just, it's so profound because the symptoms that something was seriously wrong with your body were there before the second shot and you went there seeking answers um i don't even have a question attached to that it's just profound negligence yeah and look you know like i said to you you know after the first vaccine you know because i had vaccines as a kid and never had any side effects you know i was never on any medication but when i did take medication you know never had any side effects so i was just like you know i've always trusted trusted people and you know I didn't put two and two together and I sort of see it now that if I look at it from a doctor's perspective because I try and remain balanced Nick and you know I've done lots of research and I'm quite enlightened should we say or whatever word you want to say now but you know I've done all that research so I know you know I make my own mind up even though people might tell me things I still don't look at things myself so if I think about it from a medical perspective, I look at vaccinations in the past and look at the records of adverse events. Now, obviously, I know that, you know, there's lots of problems with these reporting systems and they're not, you know, 100% accurate for many reasons, but that's another debate. But anyway, when we look at previous vaccines, there has been a lot of problems with them, but never anything on this scale. So I think in the defence of the doctors, that's why... You know, they just all presume vaccines are incredibly safe and they've all been tested. Like like normally vaccines, I'm led to believe, you know, would normally take 10 to 15 years to develop. So I think that was their defence. But um, And then the other thing that I've learned, which, again, it's not a defence anymore, um, and I've called them all out on Twitter and I will continue to call people out. And, you know, I know what they say back to me. But the trouble with this thing is i'm speaking to doctors all over the world now nick because you know i want to help people if i can save somebody from not having a vaccine first and foremost but secondly someone else is vaccine injured if i can you know if i can learn off something that i'm doing for myself and speaking from other doctors and i can give them some advice that might lessen their medical problems then that's my purpose now nick um so i'm speaking to doctors all over the world and and doctors who who are should we say, intelligent, who know what's going on and who recognising this vaccine thing, they say to me, you know as much as me, Adam, you know. So they they admit that our medical knowledge on this is on par or if not, mine is superior in some cases. Now, the problem what we've got, Nick, and someone who doesn't understand mainstream medicine is we're treating a whole load of pathologies. However, the mechanism that's causing the pathologies is very, very different anything that's ever happened before so what i mean by this is we could use myocarditis as an example and you know someone might come on a doctor might come on and disagree with me but i don't think they would be able to so myocarditis is an inflammation of the heart 
there's various causes of that viral um, infection, you know, common causes like that that we've took in the past. Now, with what we think is more likely going on, so I'll give you an example of myself and people that I speak to is, I've had what's called a spike protein antibody test done, which is freely available in NHS. And I've also had my test to see whether I've got COVID in my body on the NHS. And people can freely get these tests done. Now, when they measure my antibodies to the spike protein, they are unmeasurable, they're that high. So, it, so imagine your dashboard on if you drive a car and it gets 120 miles per hour. So my antibodies are at 120 miles per hour and they can't measure them anymore because it's too high. Now, you can't measure the spike protein in somebody's body. Now, there is a test in the USA that does this, but it's only circulating spike protein in the blood. So we know that the spike protein does not stay circulating in the blood. It attaches in all your organs and all your blood vessels all around the body in the cells. So basically, it's produced in the cells. So when you're having a blood test, it, it can't measure it. So the only way that we know someone's got loads of spike protein still and probably still making it because they've had their DNA altered from these vaccines, which I can tell you all about, is the antibodies. So our antibodies are a reaction to the spike protein. So it's, it's my own immune system trying to attack the spike protein. So the, the best hypotheses that we've got in mainstream medicine at the minute is that people who, you know, who aren't idiots is we've got these spike protein cells in all the cells in our heart and our organs, and our own body is attacking them to get rid of them, which is causing these myocarditis, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, traditional treatments for myocarditis aren't working all the time for people. So until you cure this spike protein issue, then you're not going to get people better. It's an ongoing disease that's causing X, Y, and Z. So the pathologies may be similar, and some of them are new, like in, in like Alex Mitchell's case, it's a completely new pathology that's never been seen before because that's what it's caused. So when medicine is saying to us, it's all in your head, this because they're absolute idiots because they haven't got a test because they think it's not showing up on a test, but it's because they're not educated, Nick. And this is what makes me really angry. Well, yeah, as a pattern that we're seeing, um, I mean, you, you know about this as your career. If something, if you were in lots of physical pain, could it ever just be in your head? Isn't that extremely unlikely? That would be an extremely rare mental condition that you would be in pain, but there'd be nothing wrong with you. Is that fair to say? I think it's incredibly fair to say. Now, I wouldn't confess of being an expert, but I do know about pain science because that's part of, that was part of my job. Um, so lots of chronic pain conditions and chronic, chronic health conditions, what they do is it's a bit like the easiest analogy is a burglar alarm on your house or your car. So certain chemicals in the body will cut, you know, in, inflammatory chemicals will cause pain. And what that does is it sensitizes the nerve endings that feed back to your brain and your brain gives you a pain sensation. Now, what happens is, is through pain science and studies is whenever you're in pain for, you know, you're in pain anyway, but particularly pain for a long time, it's actually stored in the brain because whenever you're in chronic pain and you're in pain for a while, it's actually attached to your emotions and there's a whole load of things that go with it. Um, but essentially what it does is it makes the burger alarm in your house more sensitive. So 
what can happen is it's just more easily you feel it's a bit of a vicious circle but your your pain threshold goes down and down and down yeah yeah would be the easiest way to say but it's never in somebody's head just imagine it no that's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm perfectly aware of conditions like that where basically you become extra sensitive, like fibromyalgia is one of these where yeah, yeah. Your, your nerve endings are basically more sensitive and your and pain is ready to go off. But it would it wouldn't be caused by nothing. And this idea that it's all in your head is. I mean, it's as if everybody has been told that like therapy or a psychiatrist or maybe managing your week better might be might sort this out that's and and these are incredibly serious cases that are coming in here yeah and what it is nick is and you know it starts with gps now i appreciate the whole system is flawed so they get like you know five to ten minutes they're seeing you know so many people a day and there's so much pressure on them so rather than saying i know that they don't want to say to someone i don't know or you know because they don't my doctor would tell me he was honest with me and said i don't know how to help you at least he was honest right but again that's not you know when you think you're dying you know you want more but then you know this it's so it's so scary that you realize that it's like now the government knows all this is happening you know i'm not just some genius that's worked this out you know but they're suppressing it but they're not you know I might be being quite damning, but my, the only way that I can think that this makes any sense is they're not prepared to invest in it, to look for it, you know, to, to try and help us guys, you know, help someone like me. So that makes me think from a conspiracy theory point of view, they just want us to die basically because they're not acknowledging us. And, you know, you're not, you're not prepared to study what's gone wrong with these vaccines. So why would I come to any other conclusion that, you know, it's a little bit like the contaminated blood scandal from the 1980s. You know, they let most of those people die and then they've just recently acknowledged it a few years ago. Um, and I think the same thing's going to happen with, with us guys. Um, but, you know, when GPs and doctors say it's all in your head, that's because either they're absolute idiots or they don't want to admit to patients and people like me, we don't know what's going on or, or sorry, we can't help you because of the system. Yeah. Well, this is it. This is our war is basically they don't want to acknowledge you guys. And I think I think you're correct that they will leave it until the end. Then they're, they're not going to come around of their own volition unless we force them to however we can. Um, I mean, you've you've essentially been down the rabbit hole, it sounds like um, since yeah. all this has happened. And like, what are your conclusions, if you have any? Yeah, um, so I have to be careful, Nick, as in, when not be careful, that's wrong word, but I'm now meeting more people who would have been the people that would have warned me against being vaccinated, should we say. Um, and these people, what I notice is, and this isn't me being judgmental, this is, you know, I'd tell them, you know, because people like-minded will social, you know, will socialise with like-minded people, right? I see that they tend to feed what, what, what people who are non non enlightened people should we say they tend to feed what could be conspiracy theories now i always say i come from a school of thought there's no smoke without fire and there's always two sides and there's always some truths in you know what a lot of people say um 
so I've gone down and done my own research mainly on vaccines and Bill Gates and World Economic Forum and going quite broad. Um, and the stuff that I've found there, you know, is it's very easily found. So, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not stuff that you wouldn't know, but, you know, the as a question, why was Bill Gates funding the world's media, you know, Britain, America, Japan, Germany, Al Jazeera, you know, every, you know, all the major news networks in the world from 2015 up to 2019, you know, I can't remember the figure, but I think it was like, you know, it was a few hundred million that he donated. And then you go to the World Economic Forum and you see that he's 45%, you know, of the non-government funding to the world. So he basically, you know, he's the majority shareholder, he controls the World Economic Forum. And then you look at the, um, the JAVI, the, the Association for Vaccine Injury Worldwide, and he, he basically controls that. And then, you, you know, you look at his, his, where his tentacles are and then you look at his association with the World Economic Forum and BlackRock and Vanguard. And it's just like, for me, my conclusion is I cannot believe I never saw it before. Our government our, aren't our government. They're just middlemen is, is where I'm at. Our government are middlemen. And it's very clear to me that, you know, they're being told what to do by whoever these people are, you know, whether it's the World Economic Forum or, you know, whoever you want to say are behind it, a group of individuals, there's, you know, there's various various uh, groups of organisations you might want to say a part of that. Well, it was quite a convincing puppet show up until all this happened, I think. Um, the WEF didn't touch the Brexit argument at all, so nobody had heard of them when we were all at each other's throats over that one. Uh, it, yeah, it, I mean, that's that's my conclusion now, is it is all theatre, and that is exactly why they're not deviating from the script. Um, and why, I mean, I find stuff like Matt Hancock talking about and Andrew Bridge and being anti-Semitic so abhorrent, and I don't understand how long this can carry, <clears throat> sorry, this can carry on going. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, you know, when you said about research as well, so I, you know, I was very naive and I thought, oh, I'll come out of hospital and I've got these medical records and I'll approach the ma mainstream media and they'll tell my story and, you know, then the mainstream media will say, oh, you know, Adam's story and I'll say, look, look at all these other accident injured people and they'll start to help us. I contacted 155, Nick. <laughs> mm. Do you know how many replies I got? Less than 10, I think it was. Maybe nine, I think it was. I mean, you you put out a video in response to this Guardian journalist that went to see Safe and Effective, because that's another one that I found disgusting. I don't understand how you can sit in that room and watch clips from that movie and still brush it under the carpet. This is not something that people are predicting is going to come down the line. This is not the beginning of 2020 and Piers Corbyn is warning about the New World Order in Hyde Park. This is damage that... Has already been done that's what i can't understand is how can you look directly at it and and go away and write that because it's quite simple so you, you know like i say i try to be balanced but it's hard for me because this has happened to me so emotions do do sometimes uh, make me jump to conclusions but then if somebody says to me adam you've jumped to a conclusion then i'll you know i'll hold my hands up and i'll go back i don't meaningly jump to conclusions but I'll give you an example. So everyone that writes an article now, Nick, that discredits us, I, I do my research on that person. And very, very easily, the doctors that are discrediting who write for the Guardian, so the Guardian's the highest funding 
newspaper that's funded 12.9 million a year off Bill Gates. So it's quite a lot of cash he's giving him. So I, I look at the people that write the articles. I look at the doctors and you can find stuff online. So there's a searchdisclosure.org.uk. And I can see which doctors have received payments from which pharmaceutical industry, how much pharmaceutical company, how much, what year, and so-called what for, whether it was for presentations or whatever. So you can find this information. Now, I'm sure some of them are hidden. Now, every person that's writing these articles to discredit us, they're professionals. They're being paid to do that. I, I've yet to find one, Nick, that isn't someone that's easily found to be being paid to write this article to discredit us. So this is the experts say. When they say yeah. experts say, they go to a designated group of experts which you found to all be getting money from the same place yes yeah okay that's very interesting because that's parallel to sorry sorry and <laughs> <laughs> um, that's parallel to the work that i was doing pre-covid which was more concerned with the label far right um i'm not going to get into how you feel about any of those issues but it's a similar smear to anti-vaxxer and i'm just kind of interested in it and one of the things i've found is that there's a tiny number of journalists that are writing the articles um demonizing whichever figure they're supposed to demonize the editor clearly gives it to whichever is the yeah. is the journalist who's tasked with the far right um whether or not he's particularly passionate about the issue i don't think is important i think this is just his job um, yeah and, and actually i think that might be a key component of it but i found that it's it's a tiny network very very quickly you see the same names so it's particularly someone called dominic kennedy who has also written about our guys as well for yeah. the time um he's a key one that pops up over and over again well, it's the same with the bbc i don't know if you're familiar with it but the bbc have two misinformation two full-time misinformation journalists mm. so one of them's rachel schrider i think she's called she's received awards now if you go on her twitter she's you know she says i'm a misinformation journalist now the problem i've got with that is like you know she's obviously clearly you know told to do these pieces and they're very biased towards that side well, I'm like, well, if you're misinformation, I'm not misinformation. Alex Mitchell's not. Come and do a balanced piece, but they're not. So, you know, people would trust those if they didn't do all the research like me. And let, I'll be honest with you, before this happened to me, would I would I have, you know, would I have thought to do the research? Probably not. Well, well why would you have to? That, I think that's I think that's key in your case is that you did ask people, look, there's something going wrong. And they said, no, because you are putting your trust in those people. But there's there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way that it's supposed to be. Or that's the way that the system advertised itself to be. So there's no like moral failing on, on you on, in any way. But there's tons on theirs, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah. So the hard thing that I've got now, Nick, is, you know, if somebody have come to me, like with all these when I say with all these, but with a load of information, you know, 15 minute cities, chemtrails, you know, transgender, you know, you can list the whole, you, you'll know what I'm on about. But if someone came to me and bombarded me with all that information before this happened to me, I would probably, you know, a little bit step back by it. So when I, so for me, Nick, you know, the, the thing with me is, you know, you guys, when I say you guys, I don't mean to be divisive. I, I'm not divisive in any way, but, 
I'm I and the vaccine injured are so indebted to you because you know it would be quite easy for you guys to all turn around and say well we told you so um you know and now there are a small percentage and I don't hold that against them because at the end of the day you guys were all being vilified for not taking the vaccine and losing your jobs and and you know x y and z and and that's what the media did and that's the how the how they played it to try and divide everybody now the problem that that i've got now and the vaccine injured have got now is we're getting this great support behind us from people who were who knew what was going on or who were anti-vax and i think that's what the media are trying to clump us all together as now what i think for things to change for the public is and people just don't have the time to look into it it's trying to educate people and say look this is actually what's going on without bombarding them with masses of information where they think you're some sort of crazy conspiracy theorist because that's what that's what the media are trying to portray everybody as that doesn't fit their agenda and narrative right well my thoughts are that we see these events that are happening um like the safe and effective screening and i'm i'm not here to tell anyone else how to run their thing but i think that the most bulletproof way to prevent the media from just slandering everyone involved is to have you guys on stage as the as the people telling your stories and i mean if there were only one of you on stage then the media could do a hit job on it but they would have a harder time but if there's 50% of you or the majority, then I don't see how they could do it. So I think it should be a real priority. And that's why I think everything that was done in January was, was really important and why we should just repeat it. We shouldn't really change that as an approach. I think that's um, a very smart thing to say, Nick, and a smart thing to do. I, I thank you for that, saying that, because I hadn't thought of it quite in that way, but there's that many of us. It'd be quite easily to do that, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, I was very impressed by all the speeches and uh, not just the event that I was at, but I watched um, all of the Edinburgh one as well. I mean, I was blown away by um, like Ruth spoke at that one and there was a woman called Callie, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I was in tears watching this stuff, but I, I also I think it's got greater utility than anything else. And there are a lot of names in this i mean i would qualify as one who's done a lot of work in this domain and spoken to a lot of people but i don't think there's any real benefit to me having the microphone at one of these events so i don't i don't seek it out and i don't particularly get invited to do it that often but i also i don't know i just think it's so important to just hand the microphone to people that can't be debunked or discredited in any way because I, I think one of the main problems that you, that you have already pointed out here is that if you can be discredited on something else, then that's you out of the water, right? So you've yeah. interviewed this person who's controversial for this reason, or you believe in that, and that's crackpot, you know? Yeah. That that doesn't apply to you guys. Yeah. Um, and and the thing with the event is as well, not, I'm not talking about the truth be told, but the, the safe and effective screen, and I'll use that as an example, and and this Carlton Club meeting that took place the other night. Now, it's not that I'm not grateful for these these dialogues taking place, but and obviously people won't like it because. But I'm a quite a straight talker. Is um, we don't have time for all these people to be patting each other on the back, and it's great that they're all coming out to support us now. But I and I'm sure I speak for everybody is we need actions, Nick, and things need to start now. And 
the government just wants to sweep this under the carpet as fast as possible and you know the whole world's moved on and they'll you know they'll put something in the media to detract from it and you know whatever else and you know this ukraine thing's yet another example you know they, they tossed 40 billion to ukraine yet they can't even pay out the vaccine injured people or or even treat us or put any money towards us or acknowledge us but I, I'm a little bit like perturbed. Uh, we've got these doctors speaking out, right? But I don't see, and, and, and lawyers, and I've had this conversation with someone who, they wouldn't say that they, they're saying to me, well, you're having a go at the wrong people. It's the GMC and the um, Solicitors Regulation Authority that we need to, you know, it's them that are corrupt. Um, but I, I, I personally you know, and it's about them protecting mortgages and their families, and that's why they're not coming out. But you know, I've there's doctors who've lost colleagues with this vaccine and and stuff. And I just think if people came out in numbers, perhaps I'm being a bit naive, but we need to see more actions now. And you know, it's great that you're all these great people supporting us, but we need actual physical actions. We need we need a plan of you know where are we going with this. You know, like you say, there's no point, you know, none of us want to be celebrities out of this. We just want actions, right? Um, you know, you know, we're too so yeah, I just get so frustrated, Nick. Um, and you know, the hard thing about it is mainstream media is so corrupt and shut down and we can't get heard there. Um, you know, the government are so corrupt because, you know, it's clear that they're spending forty billion pounds of taxpayers' money to Ukraine with the taxpayers got no say in it whatsoever. You know, who, who's telling them to spend that money? You know, we're putting up illegal immigrants in hotels for two years and, you know, and they're not families of illegal immigrants. The majority of young working males are coming over with criminal records. You know, if they really needed asylum, like, you know, some of the videos, why aren't they catching an easy jet for 28 quid? Yet they're taking perilous journeys across the channel that cost them a few thousand so they don't have to show the passports right, you know? So we've got all these problems. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm going off on a tangent, but um, I just think we need to see more action. I, I don't quite see why we're not getting action off, off some people. And, and you know, poor Andrew Bridgen on his own, for example, uh, I find it quite hard to be, quite hard to believe that nobody else is seeing the same as him. I don't buy it. Well, I mean, I've heard reports that there are people who secretly agree with him. And, you know, I, I, I pretty much find that disgusting at this point. And I think there's been about five or six different Conservative MPs who almost pop their heads up at different point like a whack-a-mole. I mean, I think Christopher Chope is consistent as well. Yeah. But, um, but, the, but there never seems to be any kind of group effort. I mean, we were talking over text before this, um, and I believe that the political and legal routes are just incredibly slow. Um, it's all about sort of paperwork, and you've got to wait three months to get a response from someone that's just a secretary, and all of this crap. And so it's just kind of useless for us to be placing our faith in that. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing we can do. And I like looking at I'd guess call it culture more broadly. And that so I, I want to spend our last chunk of time actually thinking of some ideas for Mark. Can I say one thing before you do that, Nick? Did yeah, you yeah. know that there's a COVID public inquiry taking place as we speak? Okay, tell me more. Right. So most people don't know this. So I speak to people in America and there's two grand juries in two different states in America. And now we've got something that's uh, been going on. I think it's been going on now since just before Christmas called the COVID Public Inquiry. 
Now, it's run by a baroness, and she's leading an investigation in how the government handled the COVID uh, COVID pandemic and crises, vaccine, the whole the whole package. Now, wouldn't you think that something like that would be coverage be being covered by the mainstream media? Wouldn't you think? Yeah, you, you'd think that, would <laughs> but no, I can I can see why it wouldn't as well. So, unless you know about it and go to their website, you would absolutely know nothing about it. Now, that inquiry is supposed to be done in the public interest and to be able to pull evidence up and etc. You know, so it's and and a lot of people don't know Boris Johnson, Matt Hancock, are you are represented by legal aid at this very public inquiry as well? Um, and it's just little things like that that people just don't know what's going on, and and obviously, you know, they'll they'll they've suspended it for the time being, so that'll just get buried and everything else. And it's exactly what you say that the legal system they'll make it so difficult. Um, it's it's so corrupt. It's untrue. Well, anything that's just sort of pen pushing, anything that's part of the system, this is, I think, fundamentally, the problem with the Dr. Asim Malhotra situation is he's kind of pleading with the establishment that we already know does not have our back. Do you know what I mean? You're kind of going cap in hand to if you're using the peer review system and the political system to get your results. Well, I mean, we've already determined that it's pretty bloody hostile so i mean we should still have people fighting on those grounds but i don't put my faith in that and i yeah. think it, from my perspective the two priorities for what we do in march should be to get health professionals to come forward not putting themselves out of the closet as such but so that we can get a network when someone comes forward with a vaccine injury we can kind of pair them up relatively quickly with the right person to talk to that might be able to help them with what they're going through. So I think that that is something that we should be raising awareness of. Um, and also yeah. the, the slightly more fun one is that we've got four rallies that all need to be advertised. Um, and I've seen that Talk TV is really not keen to speak to John, really not keen at all. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Can you see where I'm going with that? Because yeah. I, I mean, as I think about it, I've got my like, oh, that's naughty face on. But like, is it? Is there actually anything naughty or wrong about ringing up these radio stations? And and there's no reason we can't do it for the ones in the local area on the day of one of these yeah. rallies and just and just advertise it. Because I think those smaller ones, they might not even have the same restrictions. And you might just have be able to have a sensible conversation about what's going on. But it's one of these routes where I can at least do something. So I'm going to be encouraging people to ring up every Saturday morning while those are happening. Yeah, no. So, yeah, in terms of ideas, I, I welcome any ideas from anyone. Because um, I was actually, you know, because all this is new to me, I was actually going to speak to activists and, you know, reach out to people. You know, crikey, I'll give you a laugh. I was even thinking of, I said this to John. I said, if I was able to run, I said, I'd, I'd streak, you know, at a public sporting event, you know, because there's been like famous streakers over the years, but they'd still not cover it then, would they? It's not a bad idea, actually, is thinking back through history. What right? What have people done for attention? Um, I mean, it, you know what? I, I also saw, I think within the last 24 hours, that the uh, Just Stop Oil protesters, a judge let them off because he was so moved by their actions he was so moved by just stop oil sitting down in the road that he thought no 
this is for the greater good. And I just compare that to like the treatment of someone like Fiona and think, my God, like we've, we've really got it stacked against us here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Anyone who's got any ideas, certainly find me on Twitter and DM me or, or speak to yourself, Nick. And uh, let's get this thing going. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've reapplied for my Twitter. I've tried once um, to get it back and they said, no, um, so I've applied again because I saw that some like some really edgy people that have definitely said some worse things than me are back on there. And it's not it, it's purely as a utility. I, I really miss it for networking with people like you. Well, that's what I, you know, I think I said to you before we came on air. It's um, literally it's 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 changed my life as in it's given me hope, Nick. Um so, you know, I, like I said, I, I went to speak out. I was so lonely and isolated with all my medical conditions. And, you know, each day is a massive battle. And, um, you know, it's connecting me to people all over the world and, you know, just some brilliant people, you know, some really genuine. It's, it's, it's given me new faith and, and hope that, you know, that we can, you know, there's so many more good people. But, you know, and that's what it's done. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it it gives me purpose as well. It's quite nice to not be floundering around in the dark, thinking, right, what, 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 what am I supposed to do? What am I here for? Well, just keep going with this because you know it's not sorted yet. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, um, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's connecting me from you know people other side of the world, and um, you know I'm regularly in contact. You know, I speak to people in America a few people in America, you know, a few times a week. Yeah, at least. Um, and then you know, it's connected me to ultimately, you know, it saved my life with, with Alex Mitchell. Um, you know, that saved my life and I got in, got in touch with Alex and I've become, you know, good friends, if you like, with, with John and, and John and him and, you know, speak to John regularly and, uh, and other people as well. Yeah. So I've been very, very lucky. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I would say, like, obviously you're not you're not well, but you look comparably well today yeah. um, compared to how I've, I've previously seen you. Um, and it's it's all related, emotional, social, and physical. So, do you have you sort of yeah turned a corner since you've met people in the same condition? Yeah. So what it does is um, nobody understands what you're going through really and how could they until you meet someone with similar things so what it does is it's like a relief being because somebody understands so it's like phoning up a mate kind of thing that you've known for years and he knows you're inside out kind of thing so you've automatically got this sort of common ground and then what it's done is um because you realize you're not alone anymore and you know you're not a freak in the community because that's what the you know the mainstream media have made you feel like and the doctors um yeah it's given you that you know on a real bad day that you can open your heart to someone and you you know and they'll have thought exactly the same things and at the same token um it's made things you know i'm not any better really but it's made things able to deal with it because i know there's other people going through the same stuff and you know i also know that it doesn't take far to look there's people in this world going through a lot worse than me as well um so yeah i would say it's massive um massive i'd say the biggest thing in myself it's not my physical condition but my mental condition is from it as because of the support from people like yourself and and people on twitter 
they don't realize I respond to messages and I'll say, thank you. Uh, we really appreciate it. you don't know what it means to us. Now that might be words to you, but literally uh, I'm not ashamed to admit this, Nick, but I cry most days at some portion of the day. It's just, it's just how life is for me. And um, you don't realize the, the kind of things that yourself and people on Twitter and the kind things that they do for us and say, you just do not realize what that means to you when you're unable to work and, for me, I needed, you know, I've had people that I've met. This is just unbelievable. I couldn't cook myself dinner. They found out where I've lived. They've come and cooked me dinner, Nick, because um, I couldn't get out of bed. I needed, you know, I needed carers for a bit. And people have done this for me. And um, I just could never imagine that a complete stranger would reach out and, and offer that help and support. It is unbelievable. So it touches you inside. It touches you inside. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's as unbelievable as the fact that no tax money is being spent on this. I mean, it's it's really the drug companies that are liable and should be paying for this. But even so, our taxes should be going towards things like this. And I have accepted that uh, as it stands, they are not going to. So we're going to just have to rely on screaming bloody loud and yeah as john says bring the noise <laughs> you got on that <laughs> absolutely no it was it was a real pleasure um of seeing him in in london in his kilt yeah yeah definitely yeah no he's uh yeah i get on with him really well he's on the same wavelength as me so yeah um yeah, yeah. well I, I mean we do need people that can speak about it really well and um you guys have been both been great for that it's been a pleasure talking to you today man and i hope that we can um get really busy with some stuff in March you know any suggestions that you've got or anyone's got I'll I'll be gung-ho and try and get people on board yeah no definitely I really appreciate it Nick and you you've got my number and uh, if you think of anything because I don't watch I don't watch TV Nick um so that's the only thing with say talk TV etc I don't watch TV so I would never know when these phone-ins are on um so yeah I need I probably need to start to do some homework I mean, it's the only little desperate crack in the door that I can see in the media. You know, if the media is this big machine that is lying about this whole system and doing a big cover up, then that's the one little crack in the door where you as the public can just get through. Like you, technically you can do it on question time, but I'm not sure how you'd orchestrate that. Whereas oh, hypothetically... If there were a big group of us that just decided to do this on a Saturday morning, then it would be no problem. So stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's let's talk about it and stay tuned. Exactly. <laughs>